0: Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Joan Ulmine and this is episode 96, This Thing of Paper, an interview with Carrie Westerman. I feel a need to laugh again with you, if that's alright. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Shiny Bees podcast. I am Jo and your hostess with the mostess. Today with you, bringing you another lovely interview that I have done with the fabulous Carrie Westerman. If you are a new listener to the show, welcome. I hope you enjoy what you find here and always a big thank you to all returning listeners who are coming back to spend time with me again. I do appreciate you being here. Thank you. I have, to start with today, a bit of news. Quite a bit of news. This is what happens when you have a little miniature podcast break you end with loads of stuff that I need to tell you about. And then we will crack into the interview, which is um, quite a long one, but one that I think you'll find really interesting. So first up, I had some brilliant feedback on the last episode, which was an interview with Lindsay, aka Countess Blaze. I know that she's also been emailed by quite a few people actually, particularly talking about sort of autism awareness and how she doesn't like that holder back in running her business. I said it last week and I'm quite happy to say it again. I think she does really, really well. She doesn't allow her autism to rule her life and she knows her limitations and she she's always working really hard to overcome them and find ways of dealing with them and the thing with autism is is that she's it makes her really good at other stuff so she just plays to her strengths and um, that's how she makes it work I'm you know I'm a big fan of the way she does things I like the way that she doesn't do run her business in, in the same way that anyone else does she doesn't do shows she doesn't do wholesale she just does her own thing and makes it work for her that's the whole point of running your own business that's the goal for everyone so thank you to everyone um, who got in touch and left feedback for that Um particularly Hannah and Chloe and um, as always Helen very very supportive listeners and I do appreciate you all and even, even saying it could be my finest work yet, Alice Alice said that, so yeah, where do you go from here, eh? You know, if that's my finest work, yeah, I might as well just retire and sit in neon yarn all day. As an aside to that, if you haven't listened to the show, go back and listen now, quickly, leave this one for now, go listen to that one, and if you did listen to it and you're thinking about getting involved with the Orange Mocha Frappuccino yarn, it is available now, but you need to be quick because cause all the ones that we died during the interview sold out in two hours. So, and they were only um, to people on my mailing list. So lesson one, get on my mailing list. A link will be in the show notes. Um, but basically because we felt it was a bit mean to those who weren't on the mailing list and hadn't yet heard the interview uh, because it was only two days after it went out, that we would do a very, very limited um, pre-ordered run. She doesn't do pre-orders, as a rule. And um, basically, because she's had such a good experience with being on the show and the positive feedback and obviously kind of helped her take a big step because she's never done an audio office video interview and she doesn't intend to do any more. Um, She just did one for me because we're mates now, basically, and she wanted to push herself. So, as a kind of thank you to all of you guys who've been really kind and got in touch with her, um, she agreed to do a pre-order on that. But that's already two-thirds sold out as well, like a day later when I'm recording this. So, um, get in there quickly if you want to be involved because she is super busy and she, you know, she's already squeezing this in as a favour, basically. So, it has to be a very limited run and um, it's going to be a, a quick turnaround. It'll be basically packed up and dispatched by the 1st of July um pre-orders will close on the 20th of june if they've not sold out beforehand and it looks like they are going to be at this rate to be honest um, so if you want to be involved the url is shinybees.com forward slash orange hyphen mocha hyphen frappuccino there will be links in the show notes and there is a tab in the top level navigation of the website called orange mocha frappuccino so you can get involved there if you would like to In other news then, I have been on a couple of podcasts whilst I was on my break and I neglected to mention these last time. So I'm mentioning them now just in case you are looking for some extra stuff to listen to. First up, I was interviewed by the lovely, he's such a sweetheart, um, Harry Duran of Podcast Junkies Podcast. And his show basically involves him chatting to podcasters of all different genres and finding out a bit more about their story you know why they podcast what they think about things chatting about their show life in general really it's um basically if you enjoyed the last episode which was a bit of banter between mates um, you'll enjoy this one because it's it's very similar, it's a bit of banter between uh, myself and Harry. He has a very cute little dog called Disco, there was lots of talk of dogs in knitwear, um, there was some fringe pattern discussions as well as kind of lessons for life and, and all sorts of other things that we got into by the end of it. It is episode 90 as I say and that is me and Harry. You can find Podcast Junkies at the website podcastjunkies.com but I'll put a link straight in the show notes to, to my episode, assuming that's where you're going to start. But give his back catalogue a listen, if you like, you know, listening along when you're knitting and want something a bit different, you'll probably enjoy it because it's a lot of conversations, intelligent conversations about all kinds of things with all sorts of different people and a lot of storytelling. I think you will enjoy that. I also did an interview with the New Media Europe podcast and that is also available now i don't think they number their podcasts and um, but it's called military operation and i will link to that as well in the show notes if you want to listen to that one um the audio wasn't great on that i must say but um if you want to know kind of more about it, the business side of things and what i do then that's probably a good place for you to go as well but i absolutely heartily recommend harry's podcast uh, as a good listen, if you are a bit of a an audio junkie, as they say. Also, speaking of New Media Europe, the nominations for that have now closed. Thank you very, very much to everybody that voted, both in the first round and in the second round via Twitter. The awards ceremony is next Saturday. I'm not sure if we've done enough to keep the award. Obviously, fingers crossed, I really hope that we have. Um, but we will see basically we will see uh, Helen from Curious Handmaid is also going to be there because obviously her podcast uh, Curious Handmaid podcast is up for two awards as well so it would be great to see her again a knitty kind of crew getting in there with all the podcast big boys and I'm looking forward to catching up with her because she's, she's really good fun She is, She's. I like Helen and basically my plan was to wear my voodoo shawl which I've been knitting for months as you know and I posted to a very very kind friend of mine lovely funny really funny bloke Russ he's a listener as well hello Russ posted it to him and somehow it ended up going not to Devon which it was addressed to signed for correct address on the receipt and somehow went to Elgin which is very strange because I did used to live in Elgin and Elgin is about 700 miles away for those who are not familiar with UK geography 700 miles away from where it was actually meant to be I would not recommend using Wigan general post office to anybody because I've only posted two things at the, at the counter there recently the first one they stuck the 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 resigned for thing on the wrong side and they, they delivered it back to me the next day signed for and i had to sign for it and then they're like oh you'll have to pay again i don't think so sunshine i will not be paying again (laughs) because you stuck it on the wrong side morons um and clearly they can't they can't get this right so it's been lost in the post for about two weeks now and nobody seems to know where it is and it's just disappeared basically so i'm not going to be wearing that russ was going to block it for me and because it's a pico bind off and i just wanted to die basically i don't think i would have ever blocked it had I not sent it. No, I did send you some orange mocha of Rappuccino yarn from the one on Wigan Lane. A different post office got there the next day. Moral of the story, if you're in Wigan and you need to post anything, do not use the one on Wallgate near the stations. It's rubbish. But yes, so I need a new shawl. Is basically the, the, how I've kind of worked around from I've lost my months of beaded work you know, 500 and odd metres, a 1,000 and odd beads, months and months and months of work is floating around somewhere. I suspect it's still in Elgin sorting office, but because it's been signed as as saying it's gone, obviously it's not there. I know full well it's there. I know it's on a shelf. I know it is, but do you know the light like? the computer says? No. So maybe at some point it will turn up again, but in case it doesn't, I feel like I need a new shawl. And clearly, the answer to all my problems right now is not to just get one out of the cupboard that, you know, could use the one from last year, for instance. No, what I think I might do is just knit a new one. Knit knit a new shawl to cheer me up by next Saturday. And I thought, you know what? Seeing as that the Helen's going to be there, I am going to knit Talisman, which is, if you're not aware, you don't listen to Helen, she's just released a subscription club shawl pattern subscription club called the shawl society it is six patterns one a month from now till basically november when i assume it's going to be knit vent again straight after that um because that's that's the usual form she always has a set of patterns out at christmas and the first one has, has been released as i say it's called talisman it's a circular short circular semi-circular shawl and it is one of the patterns uh, one of the yarns called for is uh, urban hints by the lovely wool kitchen i interviewed helen a few episodes ago if you haven't heard that there'll be a link in the show notes to pop back to her and basically i'm gonna i'm gonna try and knit helen's shawl in a week because this this is what i need to be doing right now and um if you want to get involved with the shawl society it looks really good it's dead exciting and mysterious and yeah, I'm quite excited. Um, and basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of wind the yarn this afternoon and just start knitting and hopefully get it done by then. We'll see. It might stop me working at night because so I work at night a lot at the moment. That's bad news. So that's what I'm gonna do. That's that's my answer to the problem. If it all goes horribly wrong, then I can just knit, carry on knitting it on the journey down. The journey back. It will be a nice memory. And I'll I'll take my other shawl just in case, but basically, yeah, I'm gonna go for it and try and knit this one, because I think, you know, a nice, bright, orangey, corally shawl is gonna go down a treat, because it's a black tie event. So get yourself over to check out the Shawl Society. And if you feel, if you're new to knitting shawls, and you're not quite sure that you're up to committing to a long kind of subscription for them, although it's very, very good value, um, for the six patterns it basically works out at half price of what they would be if you got them separately she has a free shawl workshop uh, that she's delivering via email it's called the spin drift shawl workshop so you get the spin drift pattern and then you'll get her hints and tips for how to complete your shawl and finish it and block it and all that kind of thing completely for free so if you've never done a shawl before and you're a bit new to knitting and knitting shawls and you want to try it then I recommend you sign up to the shawl workshop. Again, there'll be links for that in the show notes. But if you go to CuriousHandmade.com, you'll find the sign up anyway. There's a little graphic in in the sidebar and you'll find it there. Um, I've had her stuff through. I thought it was really good. Not knitted the spindrift shawl yet, obviously, because I never knit anything anymore. But um, it was really good. I thought it would be really helpful if you are a new knitter. Next in the news, at 13 and a half minutes, I told you it was a long one, um, is if you are a budding designer, and I know quite a few of you are, and I think you come and listen to the podcast for kind of business type reasons, uh, Jolie of Jolie Creates and Kate Happel of Knit Now are putting together a designer's day out workshop. It's going to be in person, it's in Zephyr Black in Manchester in the UK, on the 16th of July from 10 till 4 and the cost is 65 quid including lunch and apparently as much tea as you and toast as you can eat so i was i was kind of they had me at tea and toast but i don't really want to do designing so i was just like can i just come along for tea and toast um but it looks to be a really good event if you're getting into designing yourself because obviously Jolie does a lot of tech editing stuff and designs things and Kate is the editor of Nick Now. She also designs quite a lot of her own patterns too. So if you're wanting to sort of submit to magazines and things like that, then they're going to have some really good information for you. Link for that will be in the show notes. And finally... Uh, from this week I'm going to put the podcast on a bi-weekly schedule not twice a week every other week just to clarify so the next episode for the show will be out on the 28th of June there is a reason for this and I've sort of hinted at it already and that is that I am starting a new venture and a new podcast it's not about knitting I'm just putting that out there right now it is about entrepreneurship for military spouses, veterans and serving personnel and it is going to be called the notice to move podcast there will be a community as well associated with it and it's going to be launching on the 25th of june now the reason this has been bubbling for a long time i actually registered the domain last july when it i've been thinking about it for such a long time and Working around this this concept or this idea that I've got for it, and not really taking action on it because obviously I'm so kind of committed into this podcast and my work with people in the industry um, and knitting business, and also running the Golden skein as well. And the connection is, if you haven't already kind of picked up on it before, is that I am I'm, obviously I'm ex-military. I've mentioned that before and did six years in the Royal Air Force. But the reason why we move house so much is not because we're running away from from debt collectors or anything like that. It's because we are a military family. And that's why we move house so much because my husband is serving in the military. So that is why I'm so kind of viscerally sort of connected to this topic and why I want to do some work in this area because... I feel that there's a lot that can be done to help people who are running their own businesses and balancing that off against being a military spouse or veteran or serving person. And the unique challenges that come with that, on top of just the challenges of running a business, you know, it is a very specific lifestyle and it does put a lot of um, interesting opportunities in your path, but it it can be challenging at times as well. So I'm, I'm really really excited I've already done my first lot of interviews for it I'm super keen to get involved and actually get this project running and stop putting it off basically the word for the year was commit and it is time now to commit to this concept to this community and to doing this work I I can't ignore the calling that I'm getting about this anymore so I just I need to go in there and explore it so, if that is you, if you are a veteran, if you are a military spouse, if you are serving personnel and you are running your own business, or you would like to, and you want to be notified about all the stuff to do with Notice to Move, go to notice2move.com. noticetomove.com. There is a really quick splash page there. You can sign up to the newsletter and you'll be notified when it all goes live. But obviously, the next few weeks are going to be quite busy, which is why I need time just to make sure everything is tickety boo this if it is not you but you know someone that falls into that category please please do pass it on um because there's going to be loads of good stuff on there i've got some really exciting interviews and lots of interesting stuff to share with you there will be a lot of business chat as well so if you come here for the business chat then there will be some of it not necessarily knitting business chat but it will be business in general and there'll be lots of talking to people who are running businesses and how they kind of overcome challenges in military life and their stories, really. So that is Notice to Move. My new, it's my business baby. And I'm dead, dead, super excited to be getting involved and, and basically following this. The drums, the drums are getting louder and I need to, I need to listen, basically. So that is all my news for this week. I appreciate that was a really big news section, but... Get yourself ready now because I've got the fabulous Carrie Westerman in for an interview. She is originally from Denmark and has been based in Scotland, in Glasgow for the past few years. She's a knitting designer, teacher, writer, editor and she is just in the middle of doing her first Kickstarter for her first ever printed, full on proper printed book she's written books before but they've been electronic versions so it sounds like a fascinating project it's it was already when we did the interview fully funded uh, and i think it's about double the amount now and the the campaign is still ongoing so you'll be able to find out all the details for that and i encourage you to go over and check that out but in the meantime get your knitting get a nice cup of tea feet up let's settle in and have a chat with carrie Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be welcoming today Carrie Westerman onto the show. How are you, Carrie?
1: I'm okay, thank you very much. I've got a bit of a, a cold, so my voice sounds a bit weird, but I'm okay, thank you.
0: Oh, well, hopefully you recover from that quickly, and it's not getting in the way of knitting too much?
1: It's not, no, no. Um, I I have been travelling a lot, so I think it's just all the travel and all the stress and all sorts of things that that made my body go, whoa, time for summer cold. It's all yeah. good.
0: Yeah, definitely. I do enjoy seeing your uh, train journeys and where you're up to on Instagram, I must say. hmm Yeah, I, I
1: I have a little hashtag called uh, workshop season. And uh, when I first started posting, some people said, you do travel a lot. And I sort of sat down and thought, yeah, maybe I do travel a lot. I don't really think about that. Mm. This is something I do, Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Well, for those um, people who maybe haven't met you before, can you tell Mm -hmm. us a bit about you as a person and how you came to be interested in yarny perceives?
1: Well, um, as I say, my name is Kerry Westerman. I work as a knitwear designer and a tutor and as a Jill of all traits, really, in the knitting industry. I am based in Glasgow in Scotland, but I'm originally from Denmark, hence my slightly weird accent. Um, and how did I get into it? Well, it kind of started, like many people, I used to it as a child and then life happened and I got away from it. And then I unfortunately felt very ill and I couldn't do anything. I was stuck in bed for nine months. And I couldn't read, I couldn't listen to the radio, I couldn't watch TV. So I said to my partner, David, could you go down and buy me some knitting needles and some yarn because I used to be able to knit and at least it could, I could do something. And um it turned out that I really enjoyed knitting and throughout my recovery, I, I just began really to get obsessed with knitting and about a year and a half later, I was offered a job with a yarn company. Mm-hmm. um it was back in the early days of rubbery where you could still have a project page and people would contact you and offer you jobs I don't really think they do that so much more nowadays but I was offered a, a job part-time job with a yarn company uh based in Glasgow and I said yes and that's kind of where it started it was not something I ever set out to do but life happened and I began working in knitting um almost just like that yeah
0: so obviously you kind of talked a bit there about how you came to knitting at maybe not the kind of highest point in your life and it helped you through your recovery and then Mm -hmm. you came to be working part-time for a yarn company what was the tipping point that start sort of took that job because even if it is with a yarn company it's still a job Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. kind of carry bookish knits and how you developed your design career outside Um, of that
1: Well, what happened was that quite early on when I started working for them, my job was mainly to provide pattern support for them Mm. and do some tutoring and to work a lot with spreadsheets. It's basically what I do now, but just um, for them. And we discovered that we had a backlog of beads in a stock room and I was asked to design patterns that would use up beads so we could get rid of this excess stock. And so I designed... My very first design um, was a little scarf for beads. And we gave away about 500 of those patterns within a month. Mm. And I thought, okay, let me try that again. And I made uh, another pattern. I wrote another pattern called Florence, which is up on Ravelry as a free pattern now. And that was a huge, huge success. And I sort of sat down and thought, I just gave that work away to a yarn company. Obviously, they'd give me yarn support, um, but I'd not been paid for my work at that stage. And I sort of sat down and thought, if I'd been given 10p for every pattern we'd been handing out, that would have made a significant difference to my monthly income. Mm. Um, and then a good friend of mine who's a yarn dyer was going to Knit Nation, Lillisville yeah, Lilith of Old Made nod is is in my knitting group, and she said to me, I've been watching you doing some designing, I'm launching a new yarn, here are two skeins, I want a shawl pattern, and I came back with what's the uh, Carisse shawl, which was my first to pay for pattern on Ravelry, and... It did really well, and I think it—it it was just sort of the combination of me being asked to do things and me sort of realizing, you know, I can actually do this. I—I have a history throughout my career, people urging me to do things like like you, Joe. You've—you've you've urged me to do things as well, and I've gone, yeah. Um, so so that was kind of where I sort of sat down and thought, this is actually a viable thing to do on the side it's I wouldn't I wasn't you know a designer at all for the yarn company apart from those two projects so it wouldn't be anything that would interfere in my day-to-day part-time job uh, so let's see what happens if I start thinking more about doing my own things and it grew from there quite quickly um, we're talking today on the date on a day where it's it's been three years since I launched a really big collection of mine, and it, I'm sort of looking back and thinking that was only three years ago, mm. um, and it's it's all moved very quickly from there, and and sort of sitting down and figuring out all oh, the carry bookish umbrella anything like that. It's it's all that something that's happened very organically but very quickly at the same time.
0: Mm. No, again, it's really interesting to hear kind of how it's evolved for people who mm. maybe you know we don't often get to see behind the scenes of how these things happen we just start to yeah. see patterns and people develop things in a very creative process and when you're kind of a knitter, you quite often you're on the outside you don't get the inside scoop of yeah. how and why it's gone that way um, and, and
1: I, I would there. say for me at least there's not ever been a real strategy with first I do x and then I do y and that will lead to z I think it's happened really organically for me, where I was, I was in a put in a position where you need to produce a pattern. Oh my God, people like it. Uh, what happens if I do that? Oh, people like it, and and sort of grow with that rather than go out all guns blazing, having everything set in stone from from day one. And it sort of allowed me to figure out who I am as a designer, and and what it is I do, because you can't really go out straight off and go this is me i'm fully formed but it's 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 a it's been a it's been a growth process and a learning process along the way um and i think for me what's been key actually is that i started out working in the industry in a, in a in a position that allowed me to meet knitters and actually hear what knitters wanted to knit mm. and what they found difficult um and a broad section of the knitting world, not just you know, um, ravery style knitters with a capital K, you know, like you and me, we live the lifestyle, uh, but but people who may just you know knit once or twice a year, do one sock every winter or something like that, and so just understand that whole plethora and, and difference there are out there, you know, in terms of knitters and knitting, and 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 sort of have that as a background to my design work rather than go in and go, I'm a designer now and this is what I do and then discover how knitting and the knitting industry actually works. I think that that has been a really good start for me really to start off working behind the scenes in in dusty stock rooms and working with buy buy sheets and and stock levels and all of that and, and doing pattern support. I think that was a really good way to start off.
0: Yeah, and there's a few interesting things you brought out there about when you went into your design work and it wasn't a strategic thing mm-hmm. in the way you developed your own brand. But there must have been from your previous work, obviously, like you said, you had all these beads you needed to move and we needed mm-hmm. to move them. There there obviously was some element of strategy um, behind all of that. So maybe it wasn't conscious, but did your yeah. previous work set you up maybe to think?
1: I think I learned a lot about how to um I've learned a lot about how to pull a collection together how I know about how yarn lines are developed I know about the time scale for the commercial side of things how long it takes for a yarn company to develop a yarn line and put it into production and have it out on the shelves I know what it means when when it's announced that a yarn is discontinued I know what it means when when um, a new line is is announced and then doesn't appear for eight months. I can understand that sort of whole thing to it. Um, I think what I've learned also in terms of I think in terms of pattern writing, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about uh, writing quite. Uh, short patterns. Um, I've learned a lot about layout. I've learned a lot about abbreviations and what you have to have in a pattern. But more specifically, I think I've understood through my work with a yarn company that you need to know who your audience is at all time, mm-hmm. and that you're never writing for yourself. You're always you're always writing for somebody else. I may be be designing a cardigan for myself but I still need to make sure that what I do is communicated in a way that people can understand.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question at all. I kind of went off on a
0: tangent. We love a good tangent, Carrie. Don't worry (laughs) about it. You know, that's the whole point of a conversation. I mean, I have some questions, but it's nice to go off and let things develop uh, as as we chat
1: yeah and and also I think for me, I've learned that i think with there are trends in knitting like you know you need to have use circular needles and you know it's top down seamless in the round um and and you need to know fifty different casts on and cast off, but most knitters are not actually like that, and I think it's very un- off-putting for for certain knitters that if if you have a long list of technical require- requirements for a pattern and my job and I think definitely this is something that comes with my background. I see my job as being able to explain my design to the largest amount of people possible um, in the simplest terms possible. Because at the end of the day, it is just sticks and string. And I wanted to make it as accessible as I can to the most people really that I can possibly do. And I'm not, I think a lot of, 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 um, people think the more techniques you throw at stuff the better it gets and I'm I'm all about trying to make it as as easy to knit actually enjoyable still and interesting but, but as as easy to knit as possible but that's just who I am and yeah it's just who I am as a designer I think as as well um so yeah maybe maybe it's because I've, I've met a lot of knitters and 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 you do have knitters who love, you know, all the different techniques. And and I'm one of them myself, but I'm not writing for myself.
0: No, you brought some really good points there. And I think it's really interesting to hear the thought process and what kind of inspires you and what your approach is when you produce Mm. a pattern. And the other thing you said that I really liked was about when you were developing organically, you you mm-hmm. didn't know what you were going to be by the end of it, and that's something that's very yeah. common. Is that you can't know at the beginning. You might think you know, but you only know by trying or learn by trying what works for you.
1: Absolutely, and I think it is an ongoing process. When I look at designers, I really, really admire. I I admire them hugely, but they keep evolving as well. Um, and it's never something, you, you don't arrive fully formed and, mm. and you don't really stay still either. You keep learning and you keep adapting and you keep changing.
0: For sure. I've got loads of brilliant quotes for light of this now. I'm loving it already. I'm running out of question too. So like, being a bit nosy, because I have always wondered this, um, because there are some fantastic cake shops near where you stay. Mm. What does a typical day, and I'm not suggesting it involves cake, but it might. What does a typical day look like for you? That
1: is actually a really hard question because one of the, the things I really love about my job is that no day is the same. Um, I I have a lot of hats. I'm trying to get rid of some of the hats I'm wearing, um, but I do wear a lot of hats, and that means on any given day I can get up and I can and can, I can sit with spreadsheets all day. I, I think I'm quite famous on Twitter for so keep talking about spreadsheets, but they're they're really lovely. Um, I know. Thank you for the sneaker, Um I'll like, like
0: a good, I like a good spreadsheet myself, you
1: know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some days I can get up and I can sit with a spreadsheet all day in front of the computer. Other days I may be going somewhere exotic, like the Western Isles or London or Northern Ireland. And I'm packing and I'm on a ferry or on a, or on a train. Other days I might be doing research somewhere in a facili- research facility. Um I very rarely actually have time to knit and I think this is something that people find perplexing about my work is that they go, oh, I'd love to sit down and knit and I say I, I, I would love that too. Most of my day is in front of a computer doing admin spreadsheets. Um, I would say my creative work where I, I sit down and I start plotting things and designing things is probably about 10% of my work um and then in the evenings i knit i do my sample knitting at in the evenings after work is done it is it is when i saw when i was working part time for for the yarn company i sat down and, and worked out i was i had about 80 hours a week i was working 80 hours a week and i'm down to probably about 50 or 60 hours mm. um and i have one day off a week if i remember <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it doesn't really involve cake as much. It involves a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 I don't really get out as much as people think. Um, I, I just tend to sit at home in front of a spreadsheet and occasionally indulge in a Twitter rant about my spreadsheets.
0: <laughs> oh, awesome. So you talked a little bit about how you have different sort of types of work and when mm-hmm. you tend to do them. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about when you d- develop a new design, your creative process? mm mm-hmm. um, I.
1: This is one of the things that I get quite annoyed with myself about because I I can't just do a design. I have to have context. I have to have a story. I have to have something um, that sort of places my idea within a certain Element really. Let me see if I can explain what I mean. Um, For at the moment, I'm doing uh, a book called this thing a paper, which is about um, the invention of the printing press, or inspired by the invention of the printing press. So I had this big massive idea. So my job was to find sources. So I would sit down and look at medieval manuscripts and sort of see what kind of color palette is 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 do do I sort of see before me? Um, how are the colours produced? Oh, we're talking sort of rich jewel colours, mineral colours, and also sort of the the the, the colour of the vellum or the parchment,
0: mm.
1: and the colour of the ink. So I sort of take that as a colour palette. Then I start to notice sort of design elements like decorative borders, geometrical motifs, specific. Um, motifs that keep occurring, like a fleur-de-lis or a, a, a sort of a, a diamond shape or a little star. And I sort of note all that down. And then I sort of start to think about how I can incorporate all these things organically into a a design. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing uh, is a garment that is inspired by uh, medieval manuscripts and that means I can sort of think of of, of having a background that's almost like the shade of vellum and then trying to find ways of incorporating borders within the garments. Would it be around the cuffs? Would it be around the yoke? Would it run down button band? And I can sit and sketch. And after I've done all that work, I can finally sit down and swatch. Except I also need to find yarn that corresponds to all that. So I've I've done a lot of research and I found yarn that reminds me the way it's not maybe not the way that it feels in the hand, but sort of the handle of it feels a bit like parchment or paper. has a certain crispness crispness to it. Mm -hmm. And then just when I can sort of sit down and actually start designing. Um, So it's a really long process for everything I do. Um, I had a conversation with a fellow designer and and she said to me, I don't know how you do it because I can't do all this context. And I looked at her and said, but I can't do what you do, which is just to sit down and make pretty things appear I have to have that whole long process until I reach that point and I think the grass is always green on the other side because I would love to be able to just sit down and make beautiful hats appear or beautiful gloves or beautiful socks or a beautiful jumper I I just have a lot of work to, to do before I can get to that stage it's quite laborious really when I think about it
0: yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's why you need so much coffee. Um, no, it's really mm. interesting not to hear about how everyone approaches it very differently.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. I think it's also because I have a really unfortunate tendency to come up with high concepts. Um, I did a I did a collection called Doggerland, which was inspired by archaeology and and land art and I was sort of having I had a show called Ronas where you were knitting a submerged beach mm. and how would you knit a submerged beach and that was sort of the thing I keep going keep having in my head how would you knit something that's not there and it took me a long time to get that right and it would just be a lot easier if I sort of started making I don't know like cupcake cake hats or or I don't know I really wish I I I I could come up with a simple concept sometimes, but apparently my brain doesn't work like that, and that's okay. I'm almost I've I've, I've almost accepted it.
0: Oh, but it's good though. It's good and I think part of what people enjoy about your patterns is they do get mm-hmm. that narrative that goes along with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah but wouldn't it be nice to just sit down and then just turn out a jumper? That'd be nice. But I mean we're all different and, and we can't change who we are. And we kind of I, I think that's for me has been a part of the whole process in in running my business is just to accept that I, I can't just do things that I have to allow myself some time to sit and think and come up with ideas through that very long process. Um, I think it's just the way my brain works and that's OK.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole point of being your own boss and doing your own thing is you can allow yourself to do things the way you want to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's,
1: it's, it's sometimes scary and it's sometimes frustrating, but you learn from it and, and you learn to roll with it and learn to incorporate it into your working life.
0: Sure. So taking it more to the business side of things, then, mm-hmm. not everything that goes to plan as we know, and there are ups and downs to in a business, um, what? Can you think about a time where maybe things didn't quite go to plan? What happened, and what did you learn as a result of it?
1: That's a really good question. I think that sometimes I've I've struggled with saying no to things. Um, I've said yes to a couple of things, which in retrospect I shouldn't have done. Um, I've learned to read my contracts very very, very carefully. Mm. And this is possibly one of the most important points is always read a contract. And if you don't have a contract, insist on getting a contract. Or at least have have an email trail. Having something verbally agreed is a really bad idea. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I had a point where I had a verbal agreement and I produced work and it nearly killed my business because I was not reimbursed at all, uh, for what I'd produced. And I spent a lot of money on, of my, of my own on, on producing these things. And I was never reimbursed. And that was a really, really hair raising moment in time because I could have lost my entire business. And I learned from that that you need to have things in writing. And I've also learned, uh, on a similar note to, to double check that contract because sometimes you could, could end up with some pretty nasty surprises, but um. Yeah, it was just you know, it is a business. For I mean, I think a lot of people saying, "Oh, we're all good friends in the knitting community, and we're all getting along, and everybody's nice," and that is true for the ninety-nine percent of people. But sometimes you do get your fingers burned, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that managing of expectations and agreeing in advance
1: it mm-hmm. just
0: removes any doubt. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely, and 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 just be very clear what it is you sign on to do when you sign on to do something. Um, one of the earliest pieces of advice came from uh, a good friend of mine, Susan Crawford, who said to me, "Carrie, whenever you're offered a job or gig, ask yourself, do you benefit from this in some way, or is it all somebody else's?" glory you're contributing to. Um it sounds really callous, but you know, we've when I've sort of been thinking about it, we all get these offers of exposure, you know, work for exposure. And <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think sometimes you can get quite tempted to go, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Of course I'll be on board. And then you realise, hang on, this does not benefit me at all. It's it's it helps out somebody else. And that's that's not a good thing. I think it's important to learn to to sort of stand up for yourself and say, actually, I also need to pay the rent. I need to pay my bills, and and I also need to protect myself. And that's okay. It is okay to say no to things, and it is okay to insist on a contract, and it is okay to insist on on your own right.
0: Absolutely, and um, um, I mean, obviously, Susan's been been doing this sort of thing for a long time as absolutely. well yeah. but I think it yeah. is that thing and that's why I sort of snorted a little bit um I didn't know if you'd heard me but you clearly did. <laughs> about the, the payment in exposure and I think you're absolutely yes. right sometimes sometimes it is okay it is okay to work mm-hmm. for free if you have something else that you want as mm-hmm. payment in lieu of actual cold, uh-huh. Hard cash uh-huh um that's a different sort of thing i think To oh come and you know give away all your patterns and we'll give you some exposure
1: and yeah the the classic oh give i had a classic one i had one saying could i have all the rights to your most popular pattern on ravery and in exchange i'll put a link to your blog in our magazine (laughs) yeah that was lovely uh another one I've had is somebody and I've I've shared this story so many times because it's still brilliant. Somebody came to me and said, "I'm doing kits that will be sold in leading UK department stores and I need you to design a pattern. You won't get paid but you'll get exposure." And I said, "Okay, I've read the contract. My name will not be anywhere. Can you explain to me how I will be getting exposure from not having my name anywhere in these kits?" They never came back to me for some reason. Funny old
0: thing. I think yeah. the, of the story is beware of the chancellor.
1: Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. But even if something doesn't smell like a chancellor, and something does come across as very genuine and very realistic, always just make sure where you stand. And I would say that's probably what I've learned over the last few years is is always be smart enough to insist on getting things in writing
0: yeah yeah definitely and assess that opportunity cost because when you say yes to one thing you say no to others
1: i'm still working on that one (laughs) joe
0: in the absence of a tardis You're going to have to learn how to do it, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm getting better at saying no. I am getting better at saying no. But it's also difficult because if somebody comes to you with a really fantastic idea, you really want to say yes. But I bought myself a wall planner and I would say those three pounds I spend on that wall planner best thing ever because I can actually see what's realistic and what's not that realistic so I have begun to say no I'm afraid I can't do that for you but we can start talking about oh I don't know May 2017 Um, so yeah I I am getting better but it's difficult to say no as well I think especially when you're self-employed because you know you always go oh my god what happens if I say no they'll never come back to me but people do get back to you
0: yeah, yeah, they do. And, you know, it's that kind of misunderstanding of the phrase, no, no, doesn't mean no forever. No doesn't mean you're a terrible person and never want to work with you. <laughs> it's a, no, I can't actually deliver this project on time to the level we would both want it done. So, no, <laughs> it's, it's a different exactly. thing, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Oh, cool. So taking it from... Important lessons and buy in the best wall planner in the world ever. been <laughs> the other end of the scale and the high point of your journey so far.
1: Oh my God, um, there have been some really significant ones. Actually, I would I would say when I first put a pattern up for sale on Ravelry and I could pay my council tax that very month from the proceeds of that one pattern. That was a really empowering thing. Mm. I sort of sat down and, and, and thought I've created this out of thin air and people like it and I can actually pay bills using that money. Um that was a really, really, really big moment for me. Um and I don't think I think sort of my, my, my whole career, or business life has it's sort of been a series of small points along the way um from doing the the pre-order to Doggerland where I was just blown away to uh teaching and meeting amazing people I love teaching because you you just really meet some fantastic interesting people every single time and and now that I've you know, I've put out this Kickstarter and, and it was funded within 24, well, 25 hours, and I was just, I was floored. Um, there have been a lot of high points. There really have been. And it's difficult to single out a single one, really. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's just massive, actually, that, that I've managed to make this work. I mean, I went self-employed about two years ago, not even two years ago. And I've been able to make rent every month. And I've I've met so many interesting people who like what I do. And it's just such an honor, really, to be able to to, to have this as my job. I still can't really believe it. There's a part of me that sort of says you, you'll wake up and you'll go back to, to learning about stock levels in a dusty room somewhere in the Midlands.
0: No, for sure. It's, a, it's really cool to hear like the different points. And I think people always struggle to pick one mm. of the good things, which is nice. It's really good. But you've talked a little bit about your Kickstarter there. Yeah. Don't think yeah. you're getting away with it. We need to know <laughs> more.
1: Well, it's, it's for a book. Uh, this thing of paper, ten patterns and uh, garments and accessories and essays inspired by the age of Johannes Gutenberg, and I budgeted it at a very conservative nine thousand seven hundred, and I think we're at thirteen thousand something at the moment. I've I've kind of lost not the will to live at all. I've kind of gone oh my god I can't cope. My head head's exploding a wee bit with with the wonderfulness of it all. Um people have really rallied and it's been absolutely, I'm shell shocked actually. I don't really have words for it, Joe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh it's due out next year in April. I've assembled a small but perfectly formed team to work with. Uh, Cause you can't do things like this on your own. I learned that the hard way by doing Doggerland completely on my own, which was a lot of hard work. And, I don't want to go through that again hmm. so I've got some really good people on board with me and I'm so excited I'm actually so thrilled that people want it people have been saying to me like like you have been saying to me for a while you know make a physical book Miss Westerman and I've gone um, but it's happening and people really want it and it's so nice it's it's happening and I can't believe it really
0: well, it's just you know the proof is in the pudding, and I think that because of the way you write your patterns and the way you're inspired, and mm-hmm. how there always is this narrative around what you produce in a knitwear sense, and yeah. things you write about it anyway. It's only natural that your audience do want a book they can put their hands on because knitters love physical books. They like to absolutely collect them, so. Um, and and
1: it's kind of that idea that I've taken and run with it because um. This thing of paper is about the physicality and materiality of books themselves. It is about holding a book in your hand, and and you know we all have favourite books that just feel right in our hands, and that sort of made me think about yarns. How we all have favourite yarns that we just hold in our hands and it feels right, or we have favourite needles that we keep coming back to. I've got a set of addy turbos mm. uh 375 millimeters and the cable is really wretched but i love it they just feel so right in my hands um and i kind of want to explore that sense of, of holding something and something that's tactile and tangible and physical um and also because The whole period I'm writing about, you're going from something, manuscripts which are made by hand, manus means hand, and going into something that's more and more increasingly machine-made, which I think us as crafters, we can really respond to that whole movement and tension between something that's handmade and something that's machine-made. I'm not a spinner. But I know people have a lot of, of feelings surrounding the whole, you know, how you spin a yarn and how you work with hand spun yarn versus what it's like to, to work with commercially spun yarn. And it's all those sort of things that I've added to to the context of this book, really. It's not just about books or books about books. It's it's about how we engage with the things that we really love and how we hold them and how our hands Feel and how we, by extension, feel when we do it.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's loads of like interesting points that you bring out when when you're describing it. It's obvious that you are, you know, very literary and you like to, <laughs> to read and you enjoy stories and you enjoy mm, learning about things in mm, the way that mm. you describe things. Oh yeah, mm, thank you. You're uh... <laughs> I love a good rac- raconteur. <laughs>
1: um I, I also should say that in what i what i now refer to as a previous life i i was a book historian i worked with the history of the book um so i'm drawing a lot upon that in my work now, and it also means that I haven't had to spend as much time doing research because I already have read those 15th-century treatises. Um, thank you very much. Um, with Doggerland, I had to spend a lot of time learning about archaeology and learning about geology and climate change and, and all sorts of things. And here, I, I have a lot of the work already done, which means I can actually focus on getting the patterns right and getting the designs right. And that's really quite nice
0: absolutely so this is going to be quite an interesting departure from our our trail of thought talking about Mm -hmm. things you wish you'd known what do you wish you'd known when you picked up the first ball of yarn or when dave fetched you the the first (laughs) ball of yarn yeah you like dave don't you i do i do love
1: i'm I'm a big fan of the nitty dave's uh dave loves you too and told me to say hi um (laughs) What I'd know, what I wish I'd known, possibly that it would take over my life, because um, it has really transformed my life. I arrived in Scotland just knowing Dave. I mean, I moved here for his sake, and I didn't really have any friends when I moved here. And then obviously I fell ill, and a terrible story. But knitting has given me a whole new life. I've got friends. I've got. I've got a job, I got my life back, um, I've, 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 I'm part of this wonderful community of really interesting people from all over the world who each have their own unique Background story and a unique take on knitting. I've given academic talks on knitting. I've travelled so many fantastic places thanks to knitting. It's, it's all immersive, really. And I, I, I don't know if I would have been scared if I told myself that when I picked up that ball again that this would be, happen to you, Carrie, and whether I would have dared to knit those stitches. But it's absolutely been a treasure. It's been a gift to be able to do this.
0: Fantastic. Now I'm going to ask you about choosing between favourite children. Almost here. (laughs) So, if you were going to be marooned on a desert island, Mm -hmm. and you could only take one skin or ball of yarn, what would you take and why? Ah, Sophie's choice.
1: Um, what do you mean? I can only take one desert island disc. You can take eight. No,
0: no, just one. It's, okay. you know you're being marined so oh. um there isn't there isn't any really space to pack it's just what kind of what you've got your hand at the moment. You, you know like you've got um, a handbag with with, yeah, with I, a skein of yarn
1: i i always say there is no such thing as a bad skein of yarn there's a yarn for every season and every purpose apart from eyelash yarn i which... love eyelash yarn i know you do i know you do we're not talking about that <laughs> <laughs> um no what would it be it would probably be Oh God, it would probably be a heavy one ply lace weight yarn. It would be something really rustic and sheepy smelling and probably either plant dyed or or undyed. That would probably be it and I would have like 1700 yards of it and I would just sit there and, and, and be happy. I really do like my rustic lace weights, I do. It's a terrible affliction.
0: So, which rustic lace weight can we push a brand? Probably
1: from some little small holder somewhere, and the sheep is called George. I don't know anything, <laughs> anything that's really sheepy and one ply, maybe two. No, one ply, heavy one ply, and and rustic, and not any specific brand because there's so many wonderful things out there, but. Yeah, let's take George the One Ply. George the One Ply. Okay, yes. yeah, he's
0: going to a look for this now. Someone's going to start a George <laughs> One Ply line, I can tell.
1: But, yeah, I just, I don't know. It was one of those things when I first got back into knitting and I discovered the whole magical world of yarn and I tried out all these different yarns um, and then just that One Ply slightly overspun, rustic, sheepy-smelling thing. I think it's a real knitter's knitter's thing. Mm. Um where you know if i was i was sitting on a train going back from manchester a couple of weeks ago and i was knitting with a really sheepy yarn and i was sitting chatting to my the person next to me on the train and she was a knitter as well and we were talking about and these two young chaps sort of youth maybe about 20 were sitting there with their mobile phones opposite us looking at us like we were sort of aliens and then at the end of the journey one of them said can, can i can I have a feel, and he reached over and touched my knitting and looked at this really sheepy one ply yarn, and he just went ha, oh, that's nice <laughs> I just love that cause it's it's not something that's really immediate to, to you know to non knitters, but there is really so much charm captured in something a yarn like that, but I love all yarns really. I've never met a yarn I didn't like apart from, well, I did not like the can-can scarf roughly yarn, <laughs> uh, but that's probably about it. Um, all yarns are wonderful.
0: Oh, fantastic. You know I'm going to send you a scan of eyelash yarn for Christmas, don't you?
1: <laughs> I would expect nothing less of you.
0: And I'll ask after it every time I see you as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll design something specially for you in eyelash yarn. Oh,
0: you're a babe, thank you. Um, what is, <laughs> <laughs> what's your favourite or your go-to resource? Um, obviously not eyelash yarn. Um, for mm-hmm. yarn craft or business that you couldn't do without.
1: I would actually say social media. I think that's a really trite answer, possibly, but I think it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Um, I have in the past managed to um get a tech editor, schedule a photo shoot with a model, and find a stylist that could help me out with makeup within 10 minutes of asking on Twitter. it was not something i would do today but i i was able to do that and that just brought it home to me what a wonderful tool social media is if i've got a question if i've got something i'm sitting there going i can't really make this work why can i not make this work why does this not work out i can put it in a tweet and within 3 4 minutes a lot of my colleagues out there or tech editors or or um Magazine editors or whatever they are can come back to me and say, have you thought about rejigging it so the commas there? Or, or maybe write instead of 2p of uh, p2, maybe just write p1 and then parenthesis add da 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 da. And I'm going, oh, this is wonderful. We are all sitting on our own in our own little homes working on these things, but we, we are connected thanks to the wonderful uh, medium of social media, really social media. And, and I can answer other people's queries as well, that may be sitting there wrestling with something and we, we have sort of the whole network. Um, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's possibly the right, best resource is social media, Ravry as well. I include that in that.
0: Fantastic. So talking about social media and, and people chatting to you and stuff, where is the best place for people to come find you? Um,
1: I am a lot on Twitter, ranting about spreadsheets. Um, I am on Instagram as well I am on Pinterest and I am no, I'm no longer on Snapchat I couldn't figure out how to work Snapchat so I'm no longer I feel so old Um, but I'm Kerry Bookish on all those places that's K-A-R-I-E P-O-O-K-I-S-H and if people are really interested in Eurovision I also have a Eurovision Twitter feed but that's beside the point
0: I love that your Eurovision <laughs> um, So, do you have any parting words for those who would like to get into the industry, or indeed Eurovision? Well, for
1: Eurovision, it's 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 easy. Just sit there and start watching the national finals in January, and take it from there. Seriously, best five months of of the year's Eurovision. Um. Anyway, no. Uh, people who want to get into the industry, um, I would I would say what Susan said to me. I. Always think of yourself when people ask you to do something. Always be aware that you need to benefit in some sort of a way, whether it's, you know, you being able to, to pay your bills or you maybe getting a mention in a magazine, i.e. Uh, more people hear about you or whatever. But um, the other thing, I was sort of thinking about that the other day, is, and this kind of runs counter to what I said earlier on, I think when you enter the industry, when you come into the industry, um, be aware of what it is you want to achieve. And I don't mean maybe I don't mean in the sense of, oh, I want to appear at Vogue knitting or I want to do a book or um I want to uh have my own yarn line. Nothing like that. Um when I started working in this industry, it was important to me. That I would have a working life that would accommodate me. I'm, I'm a terrible introvert. I'm, I'm such an introvert. And I also love people, but people drain me of energy really, really quickly. So for me, it was important to have a job where I could have long stretches of time to myself, just me and my work without interruption. And then ever so often go out and meet amazing, fantastic people um and I think I've achieved that in my working life because most of the time like I said I'm just at home in front of the screen looking at spreadsheets and then I go out to teach knit and teach knitters who are wonderful people and I get so energized and so happy by meeting all these fantastic people and then I get tired and then I have a week of my my own company again um but that's just my specific situation so Whoever wants to start working in the industry, figure out what it is you want to achieve because if you're not like me and you love people all the time, maybe you want to start a yarn shop or I don't know, if you're really good at maths and find really a lot of – get a lot of – um satisfaction from working out some math problems all the time. Technical editors, the obvious thing. And it's all about sitting down and finding out what your strengths and weaknesses are and how you can translate that into actually viable jobs within the industry. Um, and then finally, just be aware it takes a lot of work. It's a lot of long hours. So much work you have no idea. And, but at the end of the day, it's all good stuff.
0: Fantastic. So, what's mm-hmm. next for you then? What can we look forward to over the next few months from you?
1: Well, I'll be at Leeds Wool Festival. Um, I don't know when this interview goes out, whether it's before or after Leeds Wool Festival. All my classes are sold out, but I shall be floating around. Uh, I'm teaching less and less over the next half a year because obviously I'm be working on my book. Can't believe I'm saying that out loud, but I am. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll be working on my book. I'll be teaching here and there. Keep a lookout on my website for information. Um and I have a few ideas of what I'll be doing after this thing of paper is released, but it's it's still quite mind-boggling that I actually will be working on a book for the next six months to seven months. So yeah, oh my god.
0: <sighs> it's really exciting
1: it's it's Mm mind-boggling
0: oh uh,
1: so yeah I'll be doing lots of stuff but I'll probably not be out teaching as much as I have been doing in the past so if you want to do a workshop with me and you see one advertised jump on it because it may take a while before you see me again
0: fantastic Mm. well Carrie thank you so much for your time I know how busy you are and I really appreciate you coming to the show to chat to us
1: Oh, thank you so much, Joe. It's such a pleasure. Absolutely such a pleasure.
0: So there we have it. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Carrie and heard all of the background stories and I got a bit more of an insight into her design process and why she does what she does and how she got involved. I'm enjoying this little bird outside, it's very noisy, and uh, it's overcast, and I think they think it's dawn, maybe you can hear that too, quite sweet. Anyway, that is all we have time for this week, I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I will be back again with you in two weeks time, remember not next week, the week after, uh, to be chatting to you again, so have a wonderful week, happy crafting. And I will speak to you all again soon. Bye. You've been listening to the Shiny Bees Podcast. A podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so via the blog. Or I'm Shiny Bees on Ravelry, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and Facebook. You can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Music for this episode is provided by A Music Alley and it is Adam and the Walter Boys and I I Need a Drink.